Okay, so your handout says lesson eight. It's week eight, but actually lesson seven because we did have a week off. So that was typo on my part. There might be some other typos in there too as I was <laughs> looking through there. So uh, this week though, we were going to be talking about church leadership um, specifically with regards to submission for the sake of unity. So we're going to consider uh, the interactions between the leadership of the church and the congregation, okay? Um, a few weeks back, I think we looked at governance in the local church and specifically how godly authority fosters unity. Um, but today's class will focus primarily on the congregation's role in relating to its elders. So often there's discussion on the role of the elders, or the, leaders, the leaders of the church, um, and maybe not as much thought as to what is the responsibility of each congregation. So we want to consider how we as church members promote unity in the church by faithfully submitting to and encouraging our elders, while at the same time protecting the church from doctrinal drift. So let's start off with a, with a question here. How can we as church members relate to our leaders in ways that promote unity and bring glory to God? What are some ways? Not necessarily looking for one specific answer, just what are some ways that we can relate to our leaders in the, ch- in the context of the local church here at UBC in ways that promote unity and bring glory to God? And then we'll drill down a little bit into some of this. Pray for them. Great. Absolutely. Did we start the recording, by the way? Okay. Good. So Logan pointed out that we can get to know our leaders because that fosters trust. Submission to godly leadership. Thanks, David. All, all of those things will come up in our discussion there, so that's great that, you, that each of you are already thinking in those ways. Um, if you see on your handout, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, this might be kind of the text, and this is, I think, what David was referencing to. Um, the text that comes to mind in, re- in relations, you know, with regards to our relationship with our leaders, but the author of Hebrews uh, writes, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, if we're honest, right, strong words like obey, or submit might challenge us a little bit, right? So we, we are a, a nation of people that prides ourselves in our rugged individualism, right? We've got heroes like John Wayne and uh, famous songs like Sinatra's I Did It My Way. So there might not be too many things more un-American than obedience and submission to authorities, right? And we kind of started off our nation rejecting some of that uh, authority. Um, I think it's important to point out, though, that these words, these commands, aren't simply there for maintaining order. It's not purely utilitarian, right? The author of Hebrews reminds us that submission is to our advantage. So what's the deeper value in submission? How is submission so much more than just pragmatism? Well, consider Philippians 2, if you want to turn there. 
Philippians chapter 2, picking up in verse 5. You're close. (laughs) Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we have this Christ-exalting passage. I mean, this is one of the passages on on the study of the character and nature of Christ. Uh, But Paul brings it right down to us and starts this off with, have this mind among yourselves, right? So it is through our submission and obedience that we model the humility of Christ. It's through submission and that we maintain unity in the midst of disagreement, which is bound to happen among, you know, in our church's case, 600 plus people. But when we do so, we demonstrate, and this is important, we demonstrate that our shared calling in Christ is more important than the differences of opinions that we might have. And then here's the kicker. Ultimately, our trust or confidence in our elders or church leaders over us is much more than mere confidence in men. For the very best of us will fail. Instead, our submission is really a confidence in God, isn't it? Genuine submission to God and his word expresses itself. So vertical submission to God expresses itself in natural submission to horizontal or earthly authority. Now, does that mean, you might think, does that mean that we become unthinking yes men and women? No, not not at all, right? Because the New Testament is clear that the members of the congregation and not the leaders alone are held responsible for unbiblical teaching in the church. Think about most of the New Testament letters are not written to the elder at the church, but to the church at large. And then those churches are held responsible for um, the false teaching that has arisen in their midst. So trusting leadership doesn't mean that we check our opinions um, on truth at the door, right, unquestioned, but rather we are to be like the Bereans and search the scriptures out Um, to see if these things are so. So we'll talk a little bit in the second half of our time this morning about how we approach godly disagreement or how we approach in a godly way disagreement within uh, the church. But let's first look at some positive ways that we can encourage the elders in our church and make their work a joy. So I wonder how many pastors could answer this question how, how is it shepherding your flock? How is it shepherding your church? I wonder how many pastors could respond with, it's a genuine delight to shepherd our people. We should make it our aim to follow our leaders in such a way that they can genuinely delight in leading us. Of course, this is complicated, right, by the fact that, <laughs> that both they and we are sinners, but nevertheless, our aim should be to obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. So one of the best ways that we can cultivate unity, we're talking this whole class is about uh, unity, one of the best ways that we can cultivate unity in our church body is to make our elders' work a joy. 
So many unhappy church situations would be resolved if congregations saw their leaders as partners or co-laborers in the church's great calling to reflect the glory of Christ rather than as uh, an obstacle in their way or adversaries to overcome. So elders are human beings. We know that, right? They struggle with indecision. They, they find that often the decisions that they need to make may exceed their wisdom or experience. Take this last year and a half with navigating through a worldwide pandemic. There's really no precedent set for what we have gone through or what we're currently going through. So we need to be aware as church members that our words and actions and strong opinions can sometimes be discouraging and even hurtful if we're insensitive in how we approach these matters. We unfortunately often function as if we expect perfection from our elders uh, or from our church leaders. But when we see signs or evidences of their imperfection, maybe either in questionable, questionable decisions or maybe personality traits that rub us the wrong way, we often feel empowered by that um, to question or deride their leadership. But in, in that case, we're operating as though we expect them to be perfect when all of us would acknowledge that no one save for Christ is. Um, so, before we look at some specifics, remember that you are the object of your leader's careful watch. They are keeping watch over your soul, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, And because God val- values your soul, he has appointed you leaders to warn you of spiritual danger. And so I think it's wise for us to consider how can we best help um, our elders and our leaders do their jobs. So let's look at a few specifics, specifically six ideas. And these uh, ideas largely come from a book by Wayne Mack and David Swavely called Life in the Father's House. That's not, I don't think that's one that's on the back of your, um, of your guide there, but Life in the Father's House, a member's guide to the local church, just in case you want to reference the book and dig a little bit deeper. Okay. So the first point there in your handout is that the first thing that we can do to help our elders lead with joy is to believe in Jesus Christ and walk in obedience to him. So that may seem obvious to mention from the outset, but our elders are encouraged by each and every church member's belief in the gospel and their obedience to God's word. So the apostle John expressed similar sentiments when he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So there's joy in seeing evidence of God's grace in church members, right? As they faithfully follow Christ in obedience. There's joy in seeing God's people working together to build up the body of Christ. There's joy in seeing members sacrificially share the love of Christ uh, with one another. And there's joy in seeing saints persevere through difficult times, right? But here's an important, important thing to remember. How can our elders be encouraged by these things if we keep them to ourselves? So the take-home here is that we need to let them know what God is doing in our lives. And when they ask you how you're doing, be honest. Tell them, right? Tell them the encouraging things, but also the things that you may need prayer over or counsel about. So make, make your elders... Uh, or let them know, um, you know, the spiritual struggles, the things that you're facing in your life. The second point is that we cultivate and preserve unity in the body, right? So unity, the responsibility of unity is not primarily with the elders. It's on the congregation. 
So Paul wrote about this to the Philippians uh, when he said, and this was earlier in chapter 2 as we read, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make, listen to Paul's words here, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So like Paul, our leaders derive joy from a unified church body. If it was true of Paul, it's certainly true of, of our elders as well. So unified in spirit, Paul writes, unified in purpose and unified in love. <clears throat> Similarly, uh, James writes in James 3, peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So a congregation of peacemakers is a great encouragement to our leaders. So how can we promote unity by being peacemakers? Well, that's really what kind of, to some degree, this entire class over the last seven and eight weeks has been about. So some of these suggestions may sound familiar, but if you're like me, you need the same truths pounded over and over into your stony stony head and heart. So the first is act towards others in love. <clears throat> the Apostle Peter wrote, writes in 1 Peter 4, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Second, remember in the midst of disagreement, while our, while our opinions are temporary, the people with whom we disagree are eternal. So be careful lest you act in such a way that you tempt your brother or sister to sin in anger or resentment. And then thirdly, encourage others to trust our leaders, right? We need to be an encouragement to others to trust our leaders. So it's true, our leaders are not perfect, but our bias should still be towards trust and not cynicism. And if you wonder whether or not you tend to lean towards trust or lean towards cynicism, ask somebody. Sincerely, ask someone in the church who knows you well, give them permission to be honest in their assessment, and ask them if you are someone who is typically trusting or cynical. Because the reality is this, right? If you carry with you a spirit of cynicism, you will simply not be in an encouragement to others to trust the leaders in the church. So that's all under cultivate and preserve unity in the body. <clears throat> the third thing, and this was pointed out by Karen at the outset, but pray for our church leaders. Pray for our church leaders. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, On him, that is Christ, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So this passage gives us two really, really good reasons to pray regularly for our church leaders. The first is that our elders have been given a formidable task <clears throat> to act as weak and sinful humans to shepherd a congregation of weak and sinful humans. <laughs> Almost seems uh, impossible at the, at the outset, save for the uh, power of the Spirit in their lives. So according to Paul's testimony here, our elders are genuinely helped by our prayers, okay? Additionally, we should pray for leaders in the church so that we may rejoice and thank God when our prayers on their behalf are answered, right? 
So this bolsters your own faith and your own confidence and your own joy in Christ when you pray for your church leaders and by God's grace, those prayers are answered and they are sustained and lead, uh, lead well. So that it is, as Paul says, it is an advantage to you to do so. The fourth thing is to express your love for them, okay? So later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul describes how this works for him. He says, this is uh, chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, verse 5, For when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within, but... God who comforts the downcast comforted us comforted us by the coming of Titus and not only by his coming but also by the comfort you had given him he told us about your longing for me for your deep sorrow your ardent concern for me so that my joy was greater than ever so we see God answering prayers through normal human means right i mean god didn't comfort paul through some like abstract vision or just like lifting up his emotions in the moment. No, he used the encouragement of Titus who basically reported to Paul that the Corinthians were concerned about Paul, right? They had ardent concern. They, they felt sorrow in their hearts and Paul brought joy and comfort uh, from this report. So I think sometimes we forget that the apostle was human and we can over-spiritualize him, uh, but you can see this passage is, is raw with human emotion. And unfortunately, we can commit the same error with our elders. So if the Apostle Paul can go from this body of mine had no rest to my joy was greater than ever, then I don't think we can underestimate or overestimate, I should say, that our encouragement might be God's comfort to a leader who's struggling with discouragement. And trust me, your pastors do get discouraged. They're human. If the Apostle Paul was discouraged in all the fruit and the evidence of God's grace that he saw in his ministry, how much more so um, do our pastors and elders get discouraged? So your words of encouragement uh, may be the balm that, that salves their souls in those moments. So you may say, I'm, well, I'm not really the effusive type who often you know, makes encouraging comments, but in that case, your words might sink in even a little bit deeper. So you know, don't, uh, don't withhold them. <clears throat> The fifth point, the fifth thing that we can do to make our elders' jobs joyful um, is to seek their counsel and greatly accept their reproof. The advice of church leaders, whether solicited or unsolicited, should be something that we value in our lives. Do you value the counsel of your pastors? Two comments, I think, at this point that are helpful. First, We mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you have the responsibility to make known to your shepherds what's going on in your life. A sheep that hides its limp will get no special care from its shepherd. Our pastors must know what's going on in our lives. So it's a good habit to make sure that at least one church leader is aware of what you're struggling with, maybe what big decisions um, are on the horizon. You've got a job or a possible maybe transfer to move or something like that those should be discussions that you should be having with your church leaders maybe what's spiritually discouraging to you so you want to seek out uh, counsel you know with leaders in the church whether that's 
you know, elders or church staff or maybe your life group leader at the very least. And of course, treat godly rebuke as precious and worthy of careful consideration just because you don't get the answer that you wanted to get, right? If they're just reaffirming what you already thought, then, you know, that's, that's one thing. But to, to take an answer maybe that was in opposition of the direction that you thought you were heading um, can be a little bit more difficult. But Proverbs 9.8 reminds us, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. So make it a matter of prayer, right? That, that you would grow in maturity in Christ so that you will be the type of person who reacts positively to reproof when it's, when it's encountered rather than defensively. And then the sixth point, the last thing is, <clears throat> and this, I think this is something that is more kind of a heart posture, right? I think you can't wait till the moment of disagreement to search this out. You have to be cultivating, we have to be cultivating this in our hearts. But believe the best about the elders' character and the decisions that they make. So in 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Paul writes this. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So let me, let me read a short paragraph from that book that I referenced earlier um, by Mack and Swavely because I think it captures this point from Scripture particularly well. Quote, though we are always prone to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, our sinful flesh has a strong tendency to be suspicious, skeptical, and even cynical toward others. This is especially true of church leaders. Many members make a regular habit of enjoying roast preacher at their Sunday meal, and labels like power trip are often carelessly tossed around when difficult decisions are made by leadership. But biblical love, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 7, believes all things, hopes all things. A loving member will assume the best about his leaders and trust them until some clear words or actions cause him legitimate concern about their wisdom or motives, end quote. So what is the default position of your heart towards your elders? We should trust our church leaders without any clear reasons to the contrary. So unless they give us a clear reason uh, to distrust them, uh, we should work hard to not presume upon their motives unless there's some objective basis for doing so. So often, we don't get upset by what is being done, but, what, but rather by why it's done, which of course is totally presumptive unless the person tells us why they did the thing, right? But we so often go from, what is done to, oh, I know why they did that. And then that's where our, our judgment is misguided. We often, uh, when decisions are made with regards to church matters, um, we often have, almost always have, incomplete knowledge about that decision, right? And as it's been said, there's always one more fact in any given situation which you know nothing about. So it's dangerous to place much confidence in our opinion of what should have been done particularly without any conversations with our church leaders. And it's hazardous to presume sinful reasons for why things were done. Only God knows the heart of man, and we should never presume that we understand his motives unless that person tells us. So I think this is an appropriate place to discuss what godly criticism uh, of church leaders might look like, because as we've acknowledged, and our elders would be the first to say so, um, 
You know, our elders are fallible human beings. They're imperfect, just like you and me. So I think we should always remember to act in humility, love, and kindness when we approach a leader with appropriate constructive criticism. We should be careful not to be overly critical or come forward with criticism too frequently. I think that speaks more about who we are than it does about the elders. Um, But even so, there are appropriate responses or appropriate occasions, I should say, for godly critique, and we should not abdicate our responsibility in this area. So remember this section um, of our church covenant. We will lovingly guard one another from the deceitfulness of sin, giving and receiving admonition and encouragement in humility and affection. And that's found on the inside cover of your members directory if you're curious. So this clause that I just read applies to church leaders just as much uh, as it does to church members, right? So we should work hard to cultivate uh, a culture where loving, thoughtful criticism is given carefully and welcomed or invited freely. Proverbs 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So the six ways, just in summary, that we can obey the scriptural command to respect those who serve us as leaders, particularly with regards to elders, and to make their work a joy. One, walk in obedience to Christ. Two, cultivate and preserve unity. Three, pray for your leaders. Four, express your love for them. Let them know. Five, seek their counsel and accept their reproof. And six, have a heart posture of trust towards their character and decisions. And I would challenge you, maybe take one of those things that resonates with you and make it a matter of prayer and take action on it. You know, don't just let this be a, you know, an intellectual exercise, but pick one of those six and uh, maybe an area that you can work on and make it a matter of prayer. Questions at this point or thoughts or comments, rotten fruit, whatever it might be. Anybody? It was either so clear and enlightening or it bored you out of your mind and you don't even... I know that's not... I'll explain this for those of you in the back. Maybe you can't see it. It's just the idea. I think it'll be helpful as we, as we move to this next section. Yes? C.S. Lewis, in that vein, reminds us when we're dealing with fellow Christians that we disagree with or that maybe we are rubbed the wrong way by their personalities, that he says, if you could see the glorified state of the person that is standing in front of you one day, their glorified state, you would be tempted to worship them. They will be so beautiful and reflective of Christ's glory. So that can maybe color the way we deal with one another now.
<laughs> By extension, yeah. <clears throat> right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Pray, praise God for a plurality of elders. I mean, not every, unfortunately, not most, probably most churches don't function that way. But, you know, UBC does because we see it biblically in scripture, right? There's, um, you know, Paul always encourages a, a, a plurality of elders to be appointed in any given local church. And so we follow that New Testament example. Um, but you can clearly see, as Trevis pointed out, the, <clears throat> the benefit of that. Anything else? All right. So in the last, last half, or not half, but the last part of our time, um, let's look at what should we do when we do disagree with our church elders. So let me just say from the outset that what we're not talking about this morning is what to do when an elder is in sin. That's not what this discussion is about. That would be for a different time. Um, but inevitably, there will be times for us when our elders make decisions that we don't agree with, right? Um, our response, however, will go a long way toward either promoting unity or fostering dissent. So keep in mind the first half of our discussion as we pro- you don't shelve all that and say, oh yeah, but this disagreement, Trump, no. All that has been said before governs um, what we're talking about here. So this diagram here, you probably can't see it, but I think that it'll be pretty clear here as I pointed out. Um, This is kind of uh, just a matrix that shows um, how we can think about decisions that are made, you know, in the church. Um, And we have basically the arrow running this way is labeled increasing seriousness. So things that are less serious over here and then things that are more serious are this way. And then we have the vertical axis that has increasing clarity, which leaves us with essentially four quadrants, one, two, three, and four. I think that's really just kind of the basis of this. Beyond that, you don't need to, if you want to jot it down on your paper, that's fine or whatever. Um, But starting in the upper left quadrant labeled one, we have those things that are clear uh, in scripture, but not serious. Now, to be honest, there's really probably not really anything that fall, follows or that falls in this category, because if God has decided that something is important enough to be clear uh, in the Bible, then we probably should conclude that it is serious too. Um, but we nonetheless do have category one. Uh, moving to the lower left, we have matters that are neither serious nor clear. Um, now, this might be For example, what brand of computer we should purchase for the administrative staff? Should our corporate worship start at 10 a.m. or 10.30 a.m.? What font should we use uh, on the projected lyrics, right? So there might be some benefit to having discussion on these issues, but largely a church would do well to submit to the decisions of its leaders. 
um, who are likely delegating these questions, you know, to church staff or other church members. If you have an opinion on an issue that would fall in category two, feel free to speak up, but not in a way that would be divisive or pugnacious because church unity is far more important than our preferences and opinions on such matters. Now, I should say this at the outset. It takes a certain level of discernment and wisdom to decide what falls in which category. That's, I, I get that. And a lot of times the issue is that something's in category two, but I feel that this should be a category three matter or four matter. Um, so, you know, it does, it does take some discernment and wisdom. Um, now, we'll spend most of our time talking about the two quadrants on the right where the questions do get more challenging. So what about these issues that are quite serious? They matter, but Scripture maybe is not necessarily clear on them. Okay, so for example, should so-and-so be recognized as an elder or deacon? Should we allocate certain funds in our budget for this specific ministry? Should we require masks to be worn on campus? It's in these situations that a congregation should listen carefully to their elders and give them the benefit of the doubt. This is one of the very reasons that God has placed them over us to lead. Someone has to lead out in these things, right? Imagine if we did not have elders and it was left to 600 plus people to decide on whether or not masks should be worn or any of these other topics, right? Now, this doesn't mean that some of these decisions are not difficult for us to accept. They often are. So how do we, how do we disagree in a godly way about things that are maybe not clear, but the implications for the church remain serious? Okay, so here's just a few suggestions in navigating category three issues. First, you have an important role to play, right? And that includes bringing information to the elders. The elders are not omniscient. They are not aware of every need in the church, nor do they have perfect intelligence on these things, right? In the matter of elder or deacon nomination, for example, because this is something that we routinely do, if a man is is put forth as a nominee for elder or deacon, before speaking up publicly against the nominee, it's best to speak with the elders about your reservations, if if you were to have any. The elders want to know if there's a good reason to reconsider their decision. That's why they give time after a nomination is made before a vote takes place on this. So you can play a helpful role by bringing this information to the elders' attention. But then we should trust the elders with what they do with that information. So your responsibility may be to bring information that they're not uh, aware of and then trust them as collectively as an elder body on what they do. Second... If you disagree with the decision that the leadership has made, sit down and talk with them for this reason, to seek understanding, okay? That heart posture makes all the difference. You're seeking understanding for the elder's decision, not trying to convince them that your decision is right. The elders are more than willing and eager to do this. I I promise you this is the case. They see their spiritual care for the congregation as their utmost duty to the church. So give yourself full opportunity to be persuaded by them and approach the matter with a teachable spirit, okay? I think it's even helpful to say at the outset on a, on a matter that maybe you disagree with, I, help me understand why the elders came to that decision. And legitimately, try to understand what, you know, that, that's, that, that's that heart posture of giving the benefit of the doubt, right? We should almost be suspicious of ourselves if we land on a different side of the issue than the elder. Does it, again, doesn't mean it's always that case, but I think approaching it that way is helpful. Um, now, you may say, 
and Treva spoke to this a little bit, so we've touched on this, but you may say, I, I'm intimidated by, by the elders. How can I engage with them in conversation? Well, if this is you, counter that feeling by getting to know the leadership now before such a disagreement arises. But if that's not possible, if there's maybe a pressing matter on your heart now, you should go to them anyways, even, even though you may feel uh, intimidated. There's not a reason to be intimidated, but you may feel that way. Um, it also can be wise to talk with another church leader first, maybe your life group leader or someone like that, to see if you know, they could um, help you out in that matter. Then what happens if you have that meeting with said elder and you still come out disagreeing on a matter in this category of serious but not clear? What happens then? Guess what? It's okay. Not every Christian is going to agree on everything all the time, right? You can still trust someone and disagree with them at the same time. And this really is where the rubber meets the road, right? With regards to following Hebrews 13, 17. It's one thing, I had this discussion with my children this week, it's one thing to submit and obey leadership when you are enthusiastically in agreement, right? Kids, put on your shoes, we're going to Silver Dollar City. I have no problem getting obedience out of that. Kids, put on your shoes, we got to take the trash out, right? Hebrews 13, 17 speaks to that, speaks to that second. Um, so often decisions are made about which we have incomplete. Oops, hang on a second. Got out of order on my page here. Okay. Um, so, as I mentioned, it's another thing to submit to them when we don't see eye to eye. But remember, we um, are submitting in an act of faith. We trust Christ to rule over us by his word and his spirit through his earthly leaders. So it's okay if we come to a point of disagreement. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that uh, you know, we have to leave the church or find a different uh, body to unite with. I think, helpful, I think healthy disagreement is a good a sign of a healthy church. Um, but it's how we respond in those moments that, that really define the health, I think. I think it's also helpful to point out that our elders collectively function this way when they disagree with one another. So they are called to submit to the majority of the elders. So there, there will be times when an elder will be in the minority opinion on a certain issue, right? And in those circumstances, that elder is called to submit to the majority, trusting that God is working through the collective in this matter. So if one of the elders comes out on the short end of a vote, he has to let that go. He doesn't continue to lobby support after the vote is cast or hold a grudge because he didn't get his way. So <laughs> do what? Doesn't have to go to another church, right? Our elders are doing their best to model submission to the congregation in this way. And we have two elders in here. I didn't ask these guys beforehand, but Wes, Howard, any, any comments on this point? Maybe not. Just wanted to give you an opportunity to speak to you. And if that's a surprise to you, then that's an example of the fact that they don't hold grudges. They don't let it become an issue that divides the church. If you're going, oh, really? There's, there's not always 100% agreement? Then praise God, they're, they're doing their job in modeling this submission for us.
Thank you. Thank you, guys. Okay, the third, the third way of navigating these topics is be care, or the third reminder is be careful how you discuss these types of issues with others. For issues in this category of serious but not clear, listen, this is a very important point. Our unity as a church will bring greater glory to Christ than the making of an optimal decision will. Do not go behind the elders lobbying support in the congregation to try and overturn their decision. Do not deride the elders' decision in your conversation with others and risk making it more difficult for them to trust the elders. And when you speak about your preference in such matters, do so with grace, kindness, and humility. This is of utmost importance. It's really unfortunate how many churches have reputations for dissension and divisiveness when it comes to decision-making, isn't it? Finally, when others attempt to deride the leadership in conversations with you, explain to them that they should talk directly to the elders if they have a concern. Explain to them that there are appropriate and inappropriate ways to critique those decisions, okay? All right, let's consider this final category in the last few minutes that we have here. So the last category on this matrix is where the issues are clear and also serious. Now, this is where the congregation becomes the last line of defense against bad decisions by the elders. And I would point out, this is, should not be, and praise God at this point with UBC in their history, is not a category that we encounter often, right? Usually, I think we're going to be in agreement with our elders on issues that fall in this category that are both clear and serious. But it does happen in churches. <clears throat> Uh, it is on these issues of discipline and doctrine where the apostles appeal in the New Testament for the church, the congregation, to act. For example, would the church at Corinth continue, continue to accept in its fellowship a man in serious sin? Paul writes to the church and calls them out on that, not specifically just to the elders. Would the churches of Galatia add to the requirements of the gospel? Paul writes to those churches, multiple churches. Most people think that that letter circulated among um, the area of Galatia. Um, here is where the congregation must act at this point, okay, on matters of category four issues. The reputation of Christ will be better served by our sticking to the right answer than through maintaining visible unity, okay? But even here, questions abound. How should this action take place? How can we fulfill our biblical role as a congregation while tending to the reputation of Christ in our midst? intending to the souls of those with whom we disagree. The way this would happen in, uh, is that the congregation, and this is the way it would happen at UBC, the congregation would vote, uh, would vote down the motion in question by the elders. Again, if a motion was put forward that was clearly unbiblical, in some extreme situations, they should also call for the resignation of the elders. But throughout this, a church must keep several things in mind. And again, church uh, uh, body, this is, these are weighty issues, right? This is, again, these are category four, clear, serious um, uh, issues. <clears throat> if there's an issue in this category where the elders are advocating a clearly unbiblical position, this is a good time to seek the counsel of godly leaders from other like-minded gospel churches, preferably churches who know, the ch- who or people from those churches who know this church and its elders well. Just because the congregation is the final authority on matters of discipline and doctrine in no way insinuates 
that they can't or should not seek godly counsel outside the walls of the church. Okay. Third, we must take great care to protect the name of Christ in the midst of what may well be a heartbreaking disagreement. Unfortunately, there are times when we read a story in the paper or online of a church where the members have reached out to media or news outlets about a disagreement in their church, presumably to rally support and place pressure on their opponents. That's terribly sad and extremely worldly to function that way. The Apostle Paul lambasted the church at Corinth for taking disagreements between church members to civil court. Imagine how he would have reacted at the trumpeting of the disagreement of an entire church to the world at large. Okay, Now, just by way of caveat, I would add, because there may be some questions in, in your mind here, there have been reports in churches um, recently, not UBC obviously, but in other churches across the nation, of uh, leadership or churches covering up sexual abuse within their walls. And let me be clear, if a pastor, church leader, staffer, or the like is accused of criminal behavior, then we cannot hide behind a spiritual veil of secrecy, okay? It is only right that matters of that particular nature, criminal nature, be brought before the civil authorities, okay? So just to be clear on that. But back to this category of disagreement over clear and serious matters. As I mentioned, praise God, this is rare, uh, does not happen often, and um, I pray that, that UBC will never have to walk such a precarious road. But if that day were to come, Let's take hope in the amazing way in which he has been faithful and has preserved us as a body for nearly 70 years. What, when did UBC found? Yeah, almost 70 years. <clears throat> and let's rejoice that God's purposes will triumph regardless, right? A few minutes left. Any questions or comments on that last, on the whole second half? Right, exactly. Yeah, it becomes divisive, right? If we're if we're going to others and not going to uh, the elders who are responsible for those decisions. Anything else? All right, I'm going to close our time with the words of an elderly pastor. His name was Edward Griffin, speaking to his church on his retirement. Um. For your own sake, he said, and your children's sake, cherish and revere him or them whom you have chosen to be your pastors. <clears throat> he already loves you and he will soon love you as bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. It will be equally your duty and your interest to make his labors as pleasant to him as possible. Do not demand too much. Do not require visits too frequent. Should he spend in this way half of the time which some demand, he must wholly neglect his studies, if not sink under their burdens. 
Do not report to him all the unkind things which may be said against him, nor frequently in his presence allude to opposition if opposition should arise. Though he is a minister of Christ, consider that he has the feelings of a man. End quote. May we so bring glory to Christ through such care of our leaders. Let's pray and then we'll be finished. <clears throat> Father, I pray that it would be our aim as church members um, to follow our leaders in such a way that it is truly a God-given delight uh, to shepherd us. Lord, make this true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.